edition of the Scholar on the Belt Road podcast. I'm Ali Malimov. The guest we spoke to today is known not only throughout Russian scene in China, but the entire tech community in Russia. He came to Beijing at the dawn of the 21st century and personally witnessed the rise of China as a tech superpower. Almost 20 years on, he's now guiding Russian companies through the labyrinth of China's market for Russian Silicon Valley, Skolkova. Meet Yevgeny Kasalapov, Skolkova Foundation representative in China. He's traveled the world working for companies like ISAC, DHL, and iFree. He's the go-to person on everything startup and venture capital for Russian companies in China. He also has started and led a Beijing-based Russian club and is a proud father of four. Yevgeny is one of the nicest people I know, as he's always open to anyone with a question and ready to provide a measured and useful advice. I'm proud to call him a friend. It's been very informative to talk to him about how Russia's Skolkova is set up and how it helps entrepreneurs. We spoke extensively on venturing out in China and what it takes to succeed. We even touched on the future of tech and what is China's role in it. You're guaranteed to enjoy this episode. Yevgeny, welcome to our podcast. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much and my pleasure to be here with you. Yevgeny, I keep on hearing that Skolkovo is a Silicon Valley of Russia or Jungwansun of Russia. Do you think it's a fair comparison? Why or why not? Well, it's it's uh, people using this um, name Silicon Valley or Jungwansun just to explain what Skolkovo is in one sentence for the person who doesn't know about Skolkovo at all. So if you need to say someone in China, what is Skolkovo in one sentence, it's easy to say this is Jungwansun of Russia. If you're in the United States, maybe it's easy to say that you're in Silicon Valley. Right. And that's basically, basically it. Um, and also the same uh, thing about those places is they're all created or grown up with intention to create the ecosystem and the environment for startups, entrepreneurs to foster innovations. But the history is very different. Uh, like Silicon Valley, United States, organically grew from like 60s, 50s, right? Uh, from the companies like Intel, Apple, and then it became a startup thing lately, like in 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, Skolkovo was the place which was kind of appointed by the government. We want here to be Silicon Valley. <laughs> so it's not really organically, but artificially uh, created place, which is similar to Zhongguansun in China because it was also artificially appointed by the government. We want here to be Zhongguansun, the innovation place in China. Right. Yeah, that's kind of similarities and differences. So what is Skolkovo Foundation? Well, well, Skolkovo Foundation is the entity who manages Skolkovo as, as, this, as the innovation center. Basically, Skolkovo, uh, it's, it's better to speak about uh, Skolkovo as innovation center. Basically, it's the physical place, it's the valley, it's suburb of Moscow. I mean, physical space with the offices, technopark, uh, gymnasium, university, a lot of things in there. Uh, and Skolkovo Foundation is the legal entity who manages whole thing uh, inside those, like, inside that center. Right. So basically, it's also 
like a campus, would you say? Exactly. It's a campus. <laughs> so if I'm a company, if yeah. I'm a startup, uh, what do I get by coming into the Skolkovo campus? Um, well, uh, it works this way. Actually, before uh, campus was created, it, before it was built, Skolkovo was created as a legal entity where startup or innovative company could join to become a member of this Skolkovo Innovation Center and get the benefits like tax deduction, uh, grant support, financial support, advice support, consulting support. Uh, recently, we also have the venture capital company inside and so on. So basically, the company uh, can become a Skolkova member without moving to the campus. They would need maybe to rent a small office as a representative office. It was before, before the campus was built. But now, when the campus is built, it's much more efficient for the startup to be physically there, for the founders, for a management team to be in there, because inside campus you have the ecosystem where you can meet like big companies, like banks, national banks, big like oil and gas companies, or like big retailers and so on, to whom you can present your innovation efficiently. Like you can meet them walking around your office, like entering like uh, the common space of the techno park. Okay. You also uh, can work with the uh, students of Skoltech, which is joint venture with the MIT. So you can have like access to bright individuals of acad academia, and you have access to other peers from other startups. So you can share knowledge, you can share ideas, you can do collaborations. And inside the campus, there are a lot of activities are going on. In Skolko, we have like two biggest um, Russian innovative conferences one in usually in june another one in, in october and in between there and we have a lot of small and big uh, workshops hackathons demo days presentations right. throughout throughout the year it's about 1000 events 1000 events yeah so basically right now it so makes sense a lot of events <laughs> yeah okay. that right now it makes sense to move to the campus before it wasn't the case when but you now say move do residents live in there as well you can rent living space as well. There is what is this living space? Is it apartments? Is apartments. it houses like in Palo Alto? <laughs> uh, there are some houses which you can rent entirely, but I don't think it's a startup story <laughs> to, okay. to rent a house. Usually startups, they rent apartments there. Okay, so um, we can imagine that many of the Russians from outside of Moscow can come in there, can uh, enjoy the resources that the campus provide them and at the same mm. time meeting all of these uh, different companies in order to get funding, in order to start scaling their businesses. Do we have the success stories or is it still in process? Oh, well, yeah. Actually, Skolko was already um, it was established in 2010, so it's about like eight, nine years old. And right now we have about 2,000 companies which are members, or we call them residents of Skolkova. And um, yeah, they are officially like registered. Are officially registered, okay. yeah. And um, some of them already, well, not unicorns, but like multi-million companies uh, got investments, got grants, uh, been acquired by some companies, 
or like they went to some other markets with their products like European or American or in China and so on. So there are many like stories. We can just spend the whole podcast talking one by one. Right. And uh, the funding uh, usually comes from companies or is it also government funding? Well, um, when when the companies apply for the grants, uh, it's usually government funding. So basically, uh, Skolkov is financed by the national government, by Russia. So it's federal, like it's, na- it's national level science park. Uh, but when they apply for venture capital, uh, it's usually mixed uh, financing. So, like part of money comes from the funds, like uh, by Skolkov Venture Company or uh, Russian venture c- uh, company RVC, together with some external commercial VC funds. So it's joint financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be the story of the corporate acceleration when, for example, we take, um, I don't know, for example, recently we had an uh, acceleration program with S7, the air- airline company. Uh, basically, Skolkova selected several startups who do something which is related to aviation. So S7 reviews them and give them funding. So it's corporate funding in this case, not VC funding. There are many different stories, like it, it could be anything like this. Okay, so the government, if they provide the funds, they also become shareholders? No. Uh, when, 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 uh, when we are talking about grants, it's, uh, not, it, it's not equity story. It's basically uh, startups, for example, if they are doing something in biomedical, they say, we need this equipment for, I don't know, genome sequencing. And it costs, I don't know, $10 million. Please right. give us money to buy this stuff, this thing. They justify why they need it. And then if there is the special committee who approves, money is given, they buy this machine and do their research. What's in it for the government? For the government, uh, basically the KPI for Skolkova is the revenues of the companies, the number of the jobs created, and the international exposure, how much of their product they sold abroad. So basically uh, it's <laughs> it's not the uh, charity. <laughs> it's basically kind of investment into the future of Russia right. as innovation uh, but uh, we also have a story with venture capital in which yeah startups would give their share in return for money and the difference yeah. yeah and the difference is is that uh, if you uh, got money if you received money for the grant you cannot change your mind in the middle so they say okay I need this equipment uh, but in I don't know after one year startup can say i don't I, i decided that i want to buy another machine they would need to go again, they would need to give this money back and then apply for the new grant but with the vc funding they are more flexible they can do pivoting they can change their mind talking with the investors so like changing their road of development and so on so there are pro and contras for grant financing and for vc financing are there any foreign companies that can go in as residents Uh, so far, we have with the foreign companies, we have only uh, corporates like Cisco, Boeing, IBM, and so on. They are coming as the corporates inside Skolkovo. Some of them build their headquarters, of mo- mo- like Russian headquarters. To get access into the talent pool. Exactly, exactly. The main reason for them is to have access to the talent pool and for the startups, like uh, seeing the innovation and being the first to acquire if something interesting there, right? 
Um, as the foreign startups, we don't have any example yet that some startup from Europe or from China would apply to become a Skolkov resident. The reason why, because in their own respective countries, they have the same things. Like mm. in China, there are about 150 institutions similar to Skolkov. So. <laughs> well, let's shift gears. <laughs> now you mentioned China. Uh, you're the only uh, representative of the foundation outside of Russia. So you don't have other examples to lean on while building the structure from scratch here. Therefore, we can consider what you do as venturing out. Hence, you are an entrepreneur. Would you agree with that? And if yes, <coughs> can you describe the challenges of the business and what have you been able to accomplish since its inception here in China? Okay, my own inception into China happened a long time ago in 2000, but in Tuskolkov I joined um, two years ago. So it, it's kind of my new venture for me. Uh, first, I need to explain why it's the only uh, foreign, so to speak, office abroad for Skolkova. Because most of the startups uh, in Russia, when they think uh, going to Europe or United States, they think that they know those markets. Because the language, the, a lot of people know English, some know German, some know French. So they kind of think, okay, we can go by, the, by, by ourselves to, to Europe. Of course, we need Skolkova there and there to help to do business mission. But it could be managed out of Moscow. When we talk about China, it's not the same story because no, like our startup innovators, they don't know Chinese. Uh, all of them, like, not really um, even never been to China and so on. So that's and and because as we both together live in China for a while, we know that business in China cannot be done through the business trips. Uh, you cannot come in, in and go and... You uh, have to commit. <laughs> yeah, you have to commit your time and stay here. You need local support, local partners, local liaison officer, and so on. So basically, and here, uh, that's uh, the role of me, actually, to be here as the kind of uh, first, first-hand support to our startups who are... Uh, who, who have an idea to go to China with their product, with their services, or look for investors, uh, or looking for acceleration program. Uh, in China. So basically, uh, my first touch with the, any startups is kind of being the na navigator. So if startup is uh, saying, okay, I have that product and I want to bring it to China, what should I do? Okay, I say, guys, what kind of product you have? Uh, okay, if it's hardware, please think about Shenzhen because Shenzhen uh, is the capital of hardware. Uh, if you are doing something like in IT, then Beijing maybe, uh, because it's a lot of like IT companies there and a lot of infrastructure. If you're doing something like in chemis like chemistry, biomedical, think about Shanghai, Suzhou, those places. So basically, first we need them to give kind of like navigation where, where to come to. Then the next stage, they were saying, oh yeah, kind of we, we understood. We visited some exhibitions, I don't know, like uh, some events in China, and we decided that we want to establish office here. So which, I don't know, legal companies should we, we should work with, um, how we can hire people here, and so on. So basically it's also like I say, okay, this is trustworthy company in Beijing, this is trustworthy company in Shanghai, and so on. And everything is done by you in terms of the assessment <coughs> uh, of each and every project that goes your way. Well, um, I'm kind of the um, the central point of everything, but not everything is done done by me because uh, through the years we have established a lot of like huge network of partners. Uh, first of all, I need to mention that we uh, from the very beginning we started to work with Minister of Science and Technology in China, under which uh, there is the special department uh, named Torch, which is ob observing all the science parks in China. 
And so through them, we have access to, let's say, Skolkovas of China. As I said before, there are about 150 similar to Skolkova Institution Science Park in China. And with major of them, like in Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Chengdu, Harbin, everywhere in the major city, we have some connections. So I know people there, I know whom to ask. And so basically I can go through their network. For example, if we have a company in biomedical, I would probably, most possi- most probably would go to Zhanzhan Kaziyuan um, in Shanghai, uh, where we have... You have a liaison person there, yeah, and you give yeah, them a yeah. call. We, we have a partner there, for example, a sub-incubator uh, in Zhanzhan uh, Kaziyuan, like Puer Incubator, which is our partner, who is focusing on uh, biomedical quite a lot. And I know people there, so basically I can go like through this network as deep down as as it could be through the partners, through I don't know, regulations, legal advice in medical, or even investors in biomedical. So uh, I'm just trying to figure out how it all works. Let's just say that I have a biomedical project in mm-hmm. Russia, and I go through Skolkovo, mm-hmm. and they tell me that we have Evgeny Kasalapov who can uh, take care of your project. Mm-hmm. They send the project to you, you take a look at the project, you mm-hmm. assess it yourself, and then you decide which resource you use, and then you basically WeChat or email them, probably WeChat the project them to, to, your, to your liaison in that particular uh, city and in that particular institution, and they take a look at it, and they say, wow, that's interesting, let's meet up and talk about it. Is that how it works? More or less exactly this way. Uh, I would just add that most of the conversation with our startups in Russia happens through Skype or some other video conferences, because sometimes it's very difficult to understand from the PPT or presentation of PDF about the product, especially if it's uh, such a field like uh, biomedical, which I am not expert in myself. I'm from IT background, so I know little about medical and biomedical things. So I need somebody from the startup first to explain in the lame words uh, what they're doing. And then I kind of like think through my network here in China and think who would be the right match for them. And then I talk to them, uh, okay, we have a startup which is doing that and that. Is it interesting for you? If yes, then we kind of match them together. Uh, and yeah, as I said, that with our startups in Russia, usually I spend I spend most of the time of my time in China. I usually in Moscow maybe three, four times a year for a few days. So that's why my conversations with startups are more remote. While with our network here, I travel a lot around China. I physically, in person, visit most of our partners to be sure that what they do, they do (laughs) properly. Hence, uh, the foundation gives you a lot of freedom to uh, basically plan your work out yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you probably have to prepare reports on a quarterly or yearly basis mm-hmm. for them of what you have achieved in that time? Uh, weekly. We, we Yeah, we basically every week we kind of synchronize with our Moscow colleagues because back in Moscow we have also a team who is helping me, a uh, few people who are working directly with startups. As I said, that I ha- can only remotely work with them, but we need people in place who actually work with startups on the daily basis and understand their needs and so on. So that's why we do synchronization every week. Interesting. You've just uh, said that you've been here since 2000, on and off. Mm-hmm. So you spent a long time in China. I'm wondering, is your business mindset Chinese or is it Russian? Is it even fair to classify business mindset by country or nationality? 
as it is universally profit-driven. <laughs> profit-driven? Well, n- not everything is profit-driven, but uh, profit is the foundation of success, so to speak. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, talking about the national uh, specifics or like characteristics, of course, uh, because, uh, okay, right now there is a generation of new people who born and raised across the countries like who go in the kindergarten in one country then go to the school in another country then university in another country so those people are truly global citizens uh in my case uh it's not like i grew up mainly in in russia while i uh lived in many cities in russia because of my family but then i spent like second half of my life in different countries like in china singapore ukraine russia and so on uh, so in because of that, I would say that, yes, my mentality is quite Russian-wise, uh, but uh, a lot of my Russian friends already complain that my mentality is Chinese. Well, <laughs> they, well, how, how do they complain? <coughs> um, I don't know. Like uh, Sometimes they say, okay, why you would be so polite in this case? Why you don't say directly, like, this is shit. Don't do this. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why is like you know? Like, because in China it's not right. really. Why aren't you more direct? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay. Russian culture is more direct culture. We usually say uh, good is good, bad is bad, like directly in, in the, into the face of the person. While in China is not the proper behavior to to do this way. Basically, you have a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what's your reason uh, for living and working in China? What do you find fascinating about China? Uh, well, actually, I came to China by accident, so to speak. I, it wasn't planned. I didn't study Chinese in university. I came here after university to do, like, not really business business, but <clears throat> I worked for a non-profit organization uh, and came here, um, like, as, uh, as, as an accident. But, and, and I saw that I will be here just for one year and leave. Uh, I had two goals, to accomplish accomplish my project in one year, learn Chinese, and leave. I didn't ac- accomplish both of those goals. I didn't learn Chinese that time, and uh, I my project took about like two and a half years to accomplish, not one year. And that that's actually um, kind of gloomy to China. Uh, and uh, since that time, all my the rest of my life was somehow related to China. Even when I moved to Singapore, I continued to work on the project which is related to China. Uh, then I was moved back to Moscow, and I also worked a little bit with the China project. And then uh, when uh, in another company, the company had an idea to send somebody to do China office, say, okay, who is uh, who had experience in China? Okay, Evgeny had, so let them go, <laughs> let him right. go to, to China. Uh, but um, that's kind of a story, but uh, what keeps me being in China and staying in China is that uh, it's it's kind of the way China moves. China moves as the country, China moves as an economy, and so on. Uh, in a way, to simplify this and not to spend um, too much of your time, is China reminds me uh, the dream and the vision what Soviet Union had in the 70s when the Soviet Union dreamed about uh, space, Mars, other planets, 
technology and like invention, science, yes, science and so on. This this is kind of this is uh, this is regrettably regrettably uh, the dream which we kind of a little bit lost back in in, in Russia. But China now lives this dream, and it's uh, it's driving me because um, my background is physics and mathematics, so it's kind of like my nature uh, to work with the science and the invention and new frontier, new technology. And China is the place uh, for such things in the next few, I don't know, like uh, dozens of years. China is committed to the progress, committed to the science, committed to the progress and development. And that's really a pleasure to work with people who are driven by uh, innovation. Uh, I don't know. Yes, profit as well. They like to make innovations and make profit out of it. And it's really nice to see the eyes of those entrepreneurs in China who are doing this. And investors who also like support all those things. And the government also supports those things. Uh, I say that Russia ha- somehow lost this uh, momentum in general, yes, but still in Russia there are a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of startups who are still believe in this dream, and that's actually my my startups who come here in China, and that's also the pleasure to work with those people. Well, you've been uh, working in a capacity of a representative of the foundation for the past two three two, years, two years, two years, going on your third, mm-hmm. and it also seems to me that in the past three years. Within the past three years, there are many entrepreneurs and many companies who have uh, visited China, who have looked to venturing out to China. Some of them ventured out to China. And it seems that uh, since 2015 and 16, China has been very welcoming for entrepreneurs from the outside of China. What would you say uh, to those uh, countries, entrepreneurs, that want to come to China but are still hesitant? What would you tell them to change their minds or not? Uh, Well, actually, uh, not only 15 and 16 years were uh, more welcoming for foreign uh, talents to China. Right now, in 16th, 17th, 18th, and even like uh, looking further next years, it's going to be more and more. Right, but it started then. Yeah, yeah, it started there, and it's actually growing. For example, uh, Zhong Guansun in uh, Beijing, they introduced entrepreneurship visa this year, I mean last year, 18. Uh, from the last year, they also started to give a green cards to entrepreneurs and innovators, which was not the case for the last, I don't know, generations. I have I have a lot of friends who lived in China for 20 years and haven't got their green card, but I know some entrepreneurs who came here last year with their project and got the green card. So it means that uh, China Chinese government actually wants to welcome um, foreigners from Belt and Road countries, from, from all over the world, to come here and implement the ideas here. Um, they give uh, financial support. They can, like, give the office for free, living space for free. Uh, like Come and take it. <laughs> yeah, just come and take it. Uh, you need to be brave enough. Uh, maybe some of these startupers would say, okay, uh, I don't know Chinese. I I want to tap this opportunity, but I don't know Chinese language, and I I will never master it. 
But in this case, you can rely on support of the local students here who live in China, who study in Beijing or Shanghai and Shenzhen, and hire them as their first maybe support, like kind of support, maybe initial translation on the first negotiations. But if if the student would be smart enough, just hire them as the representative and then BD manager and so on, and they would become your your people here. So it's all feasible. In the past five years, the Belt and Road Initiative has been on everybody's mind in this part of the world. How do you think it can help your business? Also, what do you think of the role of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization uh, in the development of youth entrepreneurship in the region? Uh, well, uh, Belt and Road Initiative is very broad uh, thing which includes everything from construction the pipeline like uh, and like transport corridors and so infrastructure. on infrastructure yeah but uh, what it makes uh, what it made actually important change is the mindset of Chinese investors in general because uh, historically like if, like a few years ago like before the like Belt and Road Initiative they were kind of inward focused in, in most of the cases they were financing the local startups local innovators but uh, with Belt and Road Initiative, they started to look outwards even for startups, for innovations, and it's kind of uh, released or unfroze uh, the um, resources for entrepreneurs to come to China. Uh, and um, innovators, entrepreneurs should use this opportunity of people with, let's say, unreleased mindset, so to speak. Uh, and uh, youth is actually one of the key component of... Um, of this uh, process of coming to China through the Belt and Road Initiative or through any other initiative through Shanghai uh, uh, Security Organization. Cooperation. Or through Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, Youth is actually the pool of talent from one hand and also the pool of... uh, HR resources here, like for entrepreneurs. Uh, for example, if we are talking uh, about startups which are coming from, let's say, Russia or ex-Soviet Union countries, most of our entrepreneurs there, they are, like they do speak English, but so they more, sometimes more comfortable speaking Russian. And uh, inside China, every year, according to, I don't know, some figures from the embassy, I don't remember uh, exactly, but it's about like 3,000 students studying in China who speak Russian. It's students from Russia, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, from all of the, those countries who know Russian and also know English. And now, as bec- because they study in China, they know Chinese. And this is actually the good pool of people to uh, to rely on or to to get a help or the local, uh, local endeavors of our startups. And uh, my actually my message to students who are studying here in China or studying abroad in their own respective countries but thinking about to come to China uh, please use the knowledge you get here if you learn Chinese please don't leave China for a while like stay here and uh, be active socially I don't know like join some join uh, scholar join scholar join podcast creation or I don't know some activities uh, like in the university or uh, some business activities try to do try to make uh internship in some companies here and there can you go 
go through internships in uh, Skolko Foundation here in Beijing? Uh, unfortunately not, <laughs> because uh, we don't have resources for that. Because, yeah, if, if, if anybody wants to join for free as a for internship, yes, of course, welcome. Uh, but paid internship we cannot because we don't have budget for that approved. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> no, no, maybe not yet, yes. Uh, but there are a lot of other organizations here, even like some consulting companies or like some trade companies or some, I don't know, other other like small and big companies where people can make internship and then they will have in their resume not just studying experience but also some, um, some activities. Would it be for-profit, non-for-profit? But the point is be active take uh, active position in, in your life and then you would be valuable talent for any uh, startup or innovative company who comes to China with the desire to establish office here. Evgeny, in the past couple of years, uh, being an entrepreneur has become hot. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talking about that they're going to become an entrepreneur, that they're going to venture out, that they're going to create business maybe in F&B, maybe uh, they're going to do something in tech, maybe they can com combine both. It sort of became a religion, not only in China here, but everywhere. You go on YouTube, you go on LinkedIn, you go on Facebook, everyone is talking about entrepreneurship. What would you think the world will look like in five or ten years with regard to entrepreneurship? Will it still be as hot as it is now, as we know that it's a very difficult thing to do, uh, becoming and being an entrepreneur, right? The uh, rate of failure is very, very high, right? The percentage of failure is very high. What would you think the world will look like in five years with regard to entrepreneurship? <laughs> this is a very philosophical question, and I could approach it from another angle, uh, from the angle of technology. Uh, as you know, robots taking our jobs and artificial AI. AI, artificial intelligence is also taking our jobs. And this is, uh, I, it could sound sarcastic, but it's true. Uh, it, it's going to eliminate a lot of uh, jobs, which we kind of know today. Which entrepreneurs are creating right now. In a way, yeah, in a way, for example, I don't know, like there could be some entrepreneur who is creating some servicing company, which could be... Um, of like uh, you mentioned like food and beverage and right now we we see a lot of uh, uh, attempts to create uh, restaurants full of robots serving people of course it's not gonna we, we certainly see it here in Beijing <laughs> yeah yeah of course it's not, not gonna be like 100% there will still remain places where people like to serve other people and actually that's the one uh, one of the direction of the hospitality industry is gonna boom in, 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 in when, when the robots will do other work the hospitality uh, uh, industry gonna be one of the most important implementation of the skills of the uh, normal people uh, so but anyway back uh, robots and AI will take a lot of jobs so back to your questions what world would look like um, for entrepreneurs I would say that people would uh, be obliged to become entrepreneurs they would have no choice they, of course, there will be big corporations but the places will be limited so a traditional mindset of the student I go to university, I create my resume, then to send to this corporation, then to send to another corporation, I will work for three or five years in this corporation, then switch to another. It's not going to work. Even corporations now require a lot of the employees to become independent contractors. 
it happens in the United States, in Russia, in China, and so on. So a lot of corporations are foster, fostering their like a change to to become like hubs for entrepreneurs. Like for example, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is it Accenture or IBM? They claim that like 40% of their staff now like freelancers. Uh, and I'm not sure, I, I can mistake the big name, but one of the big companies like in IT and the consultant. 40% of the job for that particular company, corporation, corporation oh. they outsource. Yes, so basically we think of them as the huge corporation, but internally they think of them as the bench of the entrepreneurs, the cr- like the crowd of entrepreneurs. So uh, entrepreneurship is, is the skill which we need to teach our kids from kindergarten. Otherwise, they will have no place in the future world. Maybe not in ten years. Maybe not in ten years from now, but certainly in thirty years for sure. Well, uh, we're going to be hopefully uh, alive and well during that time, and uh, we're going to be a part of that because we're all entrepreneurs. And uh, day in and day out, I love what I do. I'm sure that you love what you do as well, and uh, hopefully that in 20 or 30 years, uh, together with AI, we'll be able to contribute more to the society that we live in today. Yeah, like AI will take boring work. So we will all have exciting work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that exciting note, Evgeny Kasalapov, thank you for being on the Scholar and the Belt and Road podcast. And thank you, Hostin. Bye.